Welcome to the Nourish, Eat, Repeat podcast, helping people who want to improve their health and change their mindset around food so they can live the life they were designed and called for. I am your host, Adrian Delgado, and in this podcast, I'll give you step-by-step action plans to reach your health goals, as well as my favorite recipes I know you and your family will enjoy. Let's get started. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Nourish, Eat, Repeat. So I don't know if you've noticed, if you follow us on social media, but I have been trying to post more. I've been trying to put more posts out, like pictures. I've been trying to post more reels because I heard you have to do two reels a day to gain visibility, which is way, 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 way outside my comfort zone, but trying it anyway, showing up imperfect. And um, I put a post out this past week about how to eat only one piece of chocolate. And I've watched the reel back and realized I did you a complete disservice by putting that, that reel out. I talked about how to eat one piece of chocolate and gave you just the specific one, two, three, this is how you get it done and gave the illusion as it's as simple as that. Just follow these steps and you will only eat one piece of chocolate instead of the whole bag. And like I said, I did you a disservice because I made it sound easy when it's a little bit more complex than that. That video should have been part three of a three-part series. You know, A lot of people come to me for strategies, but what they don't realize is that unless the mindset shifts come first, the strategies are useless. And so what I want to do today is I want to break down what needs to happen first before you can do the practical application point. What do we need to change in the way we're thinking to be able to make the habit changes? You know, a lot of us are like, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. And I do. I tell them what to do and they don't do it. Right? They have excuses. They have reasons. They have distractions. They have life. So we know that just telling people what to do doesn't work. Unless we think differently about the situation. So I want to give you an example. I was of the mindset that there were two camps. Camp number one was a place where people could just eat one piece of chocolate and they were satisfied and they moved on. And then camp number two was where people who ate one piece of chocolate ended up eating two pieces and three pieces and continued to eat the chocolate until it was all gone, until the bag was empty or until they were that sick that um, they couldn't eat physically eat anymore. And I thought that you were born into a camp and only lucky people were born into camp number one where they could control their portions and they did it effortlessly. There wasn't a lot of struggle to make that decision. Whereas people that lived in camp number two and were born into that camp, everything was a struggle. They didn't trust themselves around food. They couldn't have those foods in the house because they were dangerous or they were going to binge on them. 
And so everything was from, you know, a tight grip of trying to control and have enough willpower to say no to the chocolate or whatever the the food was in the first place so that they didn't overdo it. And I thought once you were in a camp, you were always in a camp. There was no moving. There was no switching. Even though I lived in camp number two, I always wanted to be in camp number one. But I didn't think it was possible because I thought it was just something you with the some innate desire that you were born with that you could never change. And then I started doing some mindset work and I started asking myself some questions. Well, what would that look like? If I wanted to move camps, number one, was I allowed? Number two, could I? And number three, what would be the steps to move to those camp, to the other camp? And through my own personal journey, I've started to realize that it is possible, which if you live in camp two, like, you know, where I used to live in camp two, right there with you, this should be a really exciting thought for you because nobody has ever told you you can move camps or they've told you, they've promised you can move them if you just do this one thing, but they forgot to tell you that there's a a couple things that have to take place first. And so when you tried it and you didn't succeed and got frustrated, you started to blame yourself. What's wrong with me? Why can't I figure this out? When the reality is you just didn't have all the steps you needed. So I'm going to apologize. I am sorry for putting out a post that oversimplified the process and wasn't complete. I'm going to try to do a much better job moving forward with that. I actually had a client this week. Um, She told me that she had some company over and she had gotten a dessert for after dinner. And she made the comment, it was kind of, you know, just kind of flippant. Like she wasn't putting a lot of stock in the comment. And she just said something about, you know, oh, well, of course I sent the dessert home with them because I didn't want it. You know, maybe if I was at my goal weight, I would have kept it at home. But, you know, I just told them to take the dessert with them. And then she started talking. I'm like, whoa, 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 hold on. Let's go back to that comment. What do you mean if you would have been at your goal weight, you would have kept the dessert for yourself? And she's like, listen, you know, I am on a mission right now and I need to be disciplined. And, you know, if I was at my goal weight, then, you know, I probably would have allowed myself to have it, you know, maybe have a piece here and there, but I just didn't want that temptation. And so I asked her, what do you, how do you think you're going to think, or how do, how do I say this? <laughs> Let me make sure I'm using good English. How would you think differently at a smaller size than, than how you think now about dessert? Like we actually have to practice thinking differently now if we want to think differently at a smaller size. It's not just going to happen naturally. If you don't trust yourself around cake now, what makes you think that all of a sudden you're going to be able to trust yourself around cake at a smaller size? She's like, well, I'll I'll just, I'll make better decisions. I'm like, no, you won't. Because everything you're doing right now is out of fear. And when you lose the weight, you'll just find something else to be scared about. Like, why not practice all of this now where we can 
work through some of the challenges that are coming up and figure out how we want to think differently than deny ourselves and avoid the topic altogether. And then when we're smaller size, think, oh, well, I'll just make the right decision when I get there. Let's figure out how to make the right decision now. What do we need to do differently? How do we need to think in order to be around a dessert and not be fearful of it and not think that we have no control over it and we have no willpower around it? How do we just confidently coexist with foods and not move to camp number two where if we have one, we'll eat the whole thing. So let's talk about that today. So I'm actually going to give you three tips. All right. So number one, the first thing we need to do before we even get to the place where we can, you know, talk about how to eat the chocolate, right? I'm going to go back to my example of how to eat one piece of chocolate. Before we can even have a conversation about eating one piece of chocolate, we first have to do some mindset work. And that mindset work is we have to get rid of this idea that there are certain foods that are good and there are certain foods that are bad. As long as you continue to engage in diet conversations where I was good today, I was bad today, I shouldn't have eaten this, this was good, this was bad, right? This is a good food, this is a bad food, I was good, oh, I was so bad today, right? As long as you continue to talk like that and think like that, you will never be able to switch camps. You won't. You will always and forever be in camp number two as long as you believe that foods are good and other foods are bad. All right, let's break it down. Why can't we think this way? Well, I want you to think about life in general when somebody is good or somebody is bad. Let's take the bad for example, right? What happens to bad people? They need to be punished. They go to jail. What happens when you are bad based off of your eating decisions? And I'm going to put bad in air quotes, right? Oh, I was so bad today, right? What happens to bad people? They need to be punished. How we punish ourselves is more restriction. And we know, we know for a fact that all binging starts with restriction, In our heads, we think we're going to be better than that. This time it'll work. I've got to double down. And so we restrict more, which just then leads to a binge or it leads to an overeat or, you know, it leads to breaking the plan, breaking that perfect plan, right? And then we have to be punished, right? And when we're punished, we we need some comfort because we screwed up again, And what do we seek out when we need comfort? For a lot of us, it's food. And we're back into the cycle again. And we overeat. And then we feel bad. We feel guilty. We feel ashamed because of our choices. And then we use food as a coping strategy. And then we wait for Monday to get motivated again. And then we start the whole cycle all over again. All right? I need you to hear this. You are not good for selecting certain foods, and you are not bad for eating certain foods. 
you are not good when you don't eat certain foods and you are not bad when you don't eat certain foods. What you eat has nothing to do with you being good or bad. It is just a choice in the moment, but your value and your worth isn't and has never been and never will be determined by what you put in your mouth. As long as you continue to make lists of foods that are good and lists of foods that are bad, I guarantee you, you will not be in camp number one. You will never be able to eat one piece of chocolate because having a list of foods that are bad, say chocolate is one of them, will always put you in fear around it. And when you start using words like, I don't trust myself around this food, what do you think is going to happen when you get around that food? There's going to be a need for a lot of willpower. And what if you don't have that willpower that day? Right? Your goal is just, well, I can't have it. I just need to restrict it. I can't put it you know, near me. I can't have it on my plate because I don't trust myself. Will always lead to you breaking that trust. And so we have to be really, really, really careful about the words we choose because whatever you, you repeat, your brain will believe is true. So here's how we work through step number one. We have to try to catch ourselves when we hear ourselves say out loud or think and, cate- that, and categorizing foods that are good or bad. How you do this is you catch yourself. If you hear yourself saying, I was bad today, you have to immediately replace it with, I was not good or bad based on what decisions I made about food. My moral value, my worth is not dependent on what I eat. And you say it over and over and over again until you stop saying I was good or I was bad today. By you being more aware of you saying these words, you're also going to be more aware of other people using that language, right? Correct them. Just tell them you're not good or bad based off of what you eat and just leave it at that. You don't have to go all into it. You can just point them to this podcast. They can listen to it. All right. So the step one is start becoming aware of creating good and bad food lists. Go ahead and make it now. I bet most of you could make a good and bad food list right now. So go ahead and do it. Push pause, make your good and bad food list. And then when you're done, I want you to rip it all up into little pieces. All right. Because it doesn't exist. I always use an example of a pen in my office. I put a pen in between me and the client and I say, you know, do you want this pen? Do you like this pen? And they're like, it's a, it's a good pen. You know, I'll take it. You know, I'm like, well, what if I decide I don't want to offer you the pen anymore? Okay, you can keep the pen. I, I really don't care about the pen. It's nice, you know, but I don't have to have the pen. What if you could think about food that way? Like, ooh, yeah, like I like chocolate. I don't have to have the chocolate. If you're going to give it to me, I'll take it. And, and some days you really do want the chocolate. And other days you're like, nah, I'm good. What if you could look at chocolate the way you look at pens? You can. The reason why you look at chocolate and look at pens differently is because you don't have a moral connection to the pen. You don't think you're good if you take the pen. You don't think you're bad if you take the pen. 
But with food, you most certainly do. You're telling yourself that you're good if you choose the salad and you're bad if you choose the chocolate. Well, no wonder you can't be trusted with it. Because if you're going to be bad if you enjoy it, then, again, bad people need punished. And so you are not good, you are not bad if you select foods. Food is not good, food is not bad. It's just food, just like a pen is, a pen. It just sits there. The only reason why food becomes more than food is because you make it mean something. We know this to be true because kids, when they're little, will eat half a cupcake and then go run off and play with their friends. And as the adults, you're thinking, oh my gosh, how could they just get up and not finish the cupcake? Don't they realize that this is a treat and that, you know, I'm giving them something really tasty? No, they don't because they don't care. Like if they want it, they'll eat it. And when they're done, they move on. They don't know that that chocolate is something not to be trusted around. That's something learned. So again, if you ever want to be in the camp that can eat one piece of chocolate, the very first thing you have to do is truly believe in your heart of hearts. Like honestly believe it, not convincing yourself uh, that food is not good or bad. And you do that by first paying attention to your thoughts and your words around food. And you work on changing that. And I don't want to give you this false sense that that happens overnight. It's a journey. you got to practice it. For some of you, you got to practice it a lot. And that's okay. Remember, you're good at what you practice. And you practice it enough, it will truly become who you are and what you believe. So that's step number one. All right, let's talk about step number two. You have to learn how to practice restraint, not restriction. So let's talk a little bit about that. What does that even mean? All right. So restriction uses words like never, can't, always, perfect. It's an all or nothing approach to eating. You're either doing things right or it's wrong. And this kind of goes and ties along with the good and bad food lists. You're either doing the good things and avoiding the bad, or you've fallen off the wagon and now you got to try all over again. Restraint, on the other hand, is purposeful decisions made out of kindness. Restraint is realizing that I can't do all the things, but that's okay because I don't necessarily want to do all the things. So let me give you an example because I'm probably not doing a great job of explaining this. So when you're restricting, telling yourself you can never have chocolate, the minute you get yourself around chocolate and you have a piece, this switch goes on in your brain where it's like, I shouldn't be doing this. This is wrong. I'm not supposed to eat this, but now I've messed up. So I might as well keep going because now I'm no longer perfect. Restraint realizes that, you know what? My stomach is telling me that, you know, it's had enough chocolate. I'm no longer enjoying it as much as I want to. And I, I still want to honor my goals. So I'm not going to keep going in this moment, even though I could, because I want to honor myself 
and my goals and my body in this moment. Right? There's lots of things that we practice restraint with. We practice restraint when we go to Target. Right? I tell people all the time, just because you go to Target doesn't mean you have to buy something. Right? Go practice. Go to Target, walk around, and come out. You have to practice restraint. You can't always buy everything you want in Target because you have to pay the bills. Right? You know that if you come home with, you know, a thousand dollar bill from Target, it's going to make life a little bit more uncomfortable later on. Maybe it's an uncomfortable conversation with your partner. Maybe, you know, it's working extra shifts to pay off the debt that you accrue. You know, it's going to make you feel uncomfortable. So you realize, all right, I'm going to give up this temporary gain for long-term success. That's what restraint is. Restriction is telling yourself, I can never go to Target. I can never be, I can't be trusted around Target. So therefore I can never, ever go. And then your kid needs a folder for school and you find yourself in Target and then you're buying all the things because nope, now I broke the rule. Now I got to go buy it all. That's not how this works. Okay. So we have to be really careful. We're exhibiting restraint, not restriction. Restriction is condemning. It's controlling. Where restraint is compassionate. It honors you, it honors your goals, it honors your body. And so I want you to think about when you're eating, are you exhibiting restriction or are you exhibiting restraint? The words, even though they sound very similar, they come from a different motivation. Again, restriction is very fear-based. I can't be trusted, so therefore I can't have it in my house. Where restraint is, you know, I'm not going to eat all of it because I want to be kind to myself. Not because it's fear and I don't trust myself, but because I know how to make my best decisions. It's very, very different. So let me teach you how to use restraint and not restriction. So number one, you know, before you just grab something to eat, I want you to ask yourself, I actually heard this on another podcast and I loved it so much. Uh, it was this question, is this going to be a meaningful eating experience? That's really powerful. Before you grab anything, is this going to be a meaningful eating experience? Meaning, if you are just tired or agitated at the night and at the end of the night and you just go and grab um, an ice cream bar out of the freezer and just sit yourself in front of the TV and eat it without even paying attention because, you know, you just need something, some type of sweet treat or dessert. I wouldn't call that a meaningful eating experience, but going out for ice cream with your kids a planned excursion where you know you're going to be with the people you love, you know you're going to go to a really good ice cream shop and get something, you know, a flavor you really like, I would call that a meaningful eating experience. One that's intentional, one that is, you know, calculated, the experience, you're looking for not only physical satisfaction, but emotional satisfaction. That is an emotional 
or that I'm sorry, that is a meaningful eating experience. Just shoving food in your mouth for the sake of shoving it in, probably not a meaningful eating experience. So just asking yourself that one question can be life-changing. All right. And if you decide, you know what, me eating this chocolate right now, this whole bag of chocolate isn't going to be a meaningful eating experience. It allows for you to slow down and ask yourself the second important question is what do I actually need right now? Do I need rest? Do I need uh, compassion? Do I need a hug? Do I need to go to bed? Do I need to do some deep breathing? Like what is the next best step? How can I take care of myself? Right. A lot of times, you know, I'll hear clients say all the time, like, I don't know why I, I do this all the time. Like I know what I should be doing. I'm just not doing it. It's because we don't slow down. We just run right to the next activity and we take food along with us. And if we slow down for just a hot second and think about what we're doing, more times than not, we would make a different decision. Another question you can ask yourself is, you know, will I feel proud of myself tomorrow morning if I make this decision now? It's not to say that you can't eat. It's not saying we're taking eating off the table. We're just going to do it in a way that honors you and not because you're punishing yourself, but because you you are being kind and compassionate to yourself. And this is how you take care of yourself well. All right. So we have to slow down. We have to make sure we're choosing the right words. And then, then we can go to step three, where we practice mindful eating. Remember, mindfulness is all about how you eat, not what you eat or how much you eat. It's about being fully present and engaged in the activity versus eating while you're doing something else, while you're distracted, while you're angry, while you're agitated, while you're anxious, while you're restless, while you're bored, while you're um, lonely. Mindfulness says everything else is going to take a back seat so I can really make sure that what I'm putting in my mouth right now is actually what I want to be there both from a physical standpoint, because I like the taste, I like the texture, I like the consistency, I like the temperature, and emotionally satisfying, you know, because I'm not going to beat myself up after this, right? It has, it honors my goals, it honors what I want to accomplish, it allows for me to continue showing up versus beating myself down, And so how we eat more mindfully is we eliminate distractions. We eliminate screens. We eliminate phones. Um, For me, when I want to have a piece of chocolate, I go in a different room. I literally go in a different room because I don't want, first of all, I don't want to (laughs) share. I'm just having one piece, right? So I don't want to share and I want it to be quiet so I can really absorb the moment. So a lot of times I hide in my laundry room because nobody goes there. All right. The second thing I do when I only want to have one piece of chocolate is I don't chew it. Chewing is a big red flag for me. It shows me that I'm not in a calm state and I'm probably going to overeat. So when I can just let the chocolate melt in my mouth and think of nothing else but the taste of that chocolate as it slowly starts to melt, I am more fully presently engaged in the activity 
and able to move on and not have to eat the whole bag because I actually was there to experience it. When you're eating food in front of a screen, you are not having the full experience. I don't care what you tell me. All right. And so when we don't have the full experience, our brain's like, I don't remember that. I want to do over. And then we eat the next piece. Then we have the thought, well, now you screwed it up. You were only supposed to have one. Now you had two. So we might as well keep going. So I like having the little individual wrapped chocolates. I keep them in my purse. I have never in my life ever lived in camp number one until this year. And I just turned 43. (laughs) I finally can say that I have learned how to have a piece of chocolate and move on. But it has only happened because I no longer think of chocolate as a bad food. It's just food. And I'm able to eat one piece of chocolate out of compassion, not fear, right? I'm able to eat that chocolate fully engaged. When I don't pay attention, that's when I tend to grab the second piece. But when I give it my full undivided attention, I enjoy the experience. And then my brain's like, all right, that was fun. That was good. And now what do we want to do next? I want to make sure that I'm really clear that I'm not perfect. And I don't think perfection is what the goal is. You know, there's times that I screw up, of course. But the times I screw up are getting further and further from each other. And when I screw up, they're not as extreme. I'm able to catch myself and I'm able to pivot faster. I can see myself doing it and pull myself in a different direction a lot faster than before. So I want to also be clear, like, we're not aiming for perfection. We're not aiming to never, ever, ever struggle with eating more than one piece of chocolate again. That's silly. But I don't hold myself to that expectation anymore either. I realize that this is a process. And some days, you know, I'm, I'm going to follow through. And some days I'm not. And my only goal is when I don't, just to learn more about the situation and, and learn why. And figure out, could I have done anything differently for the next time? So if I'm going to give you a bonus tip, number four, it's the goal is not perfection. I have so many of my clients, they want this. They come in my office. They're like, tell me what to do and I'm going to do it. And you'll do it once and you maybe even do it twice. But it's the ones that we can do over and over again. Those are the habit changes that have the most lasting difference in our lives. Okay. All right, guys, you can do this. We got to do the mindset work first before we can do the actual habit change. All right. So let's get to your recipe. So I actually made this the other night and it was amazing. It was so good and so easy. We have a ton of spaghetti squash in our garden. And so this is just a simple, simple recipe. You're going to uh, preheat your oven to 400. Sometimes I even do 425. And I put cooking spray down on the pan. I take a spaghetti squash and I cut it in half lengthwise, scoop out the seeds, right? And then place the halves cut side down on the baking sheet, okay? So spray the cookie sheet or the the baking sheet first with cooking spray and then put your spaghetti squash cut side down 
on the baking sheet. Okay, and then you're gonna roast it in the oven for about 30 minutes or so. How I check to see if it's done is I pierce it with a fork. If my fork goes in really easy all the way through, then I know it's done. If it's giving me a lot of resistance, I'll keep it in the oven for a little bit longer. While the squash is roasting, you're going to melt two tablespoons of butter over medium heat and then stir in a teaspoon of pepper. And then basically um, swirl that around and remove from the heat. Once the spaghetti squash is done in the oven, you're gonna go ahead and take a fork to scrape out the strands of the squash. And then you're going to pour the melted butter with a pepper all over the squash along with uh, two tablespoons of Parmesan cheese. And mix that all up and then pour it over your spaghetti squash and eat it. And it was absolutely delicious. So simple. Just a few ingredients. You got your squash, you've got your butter, you've got pepper, and you've got Parmesan cheese. And you just mix that all up, and it is an amazing, delicious side dish. I actually browned the butter, so I actually gave it that nutty brown color, and it reminded me of having butter noodles, which is something that we had a lot growing up. I think I told you guys I grew up in Lancaster County, so we did a lot of Pennsylvania Dutch food, so this was kind of a comfort food for me having like a butter noodle, but doing it with spaghetti squash. So great way to add more vegetables to your day. All right, guys, that's what I have for you. I hope you have a fantastic week and I will see you next time. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Nourish Eat Repeat podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please rate, review, and share with others so we can reach and help more people. For more information about nutrition, how to work with a dietitian or about any of our programs, visit our website at bodymetricshealth.com. You can also find us on socials. We're on Instagram and Facebook at bodymetricshealth. The book Nourish Eat Repeat is available on our website and Amazon in both paperback and ebook versions. Once again, I'm Adrienne Delgado, and I'll see you next week.